Hello, everyone, and welcome to the program that keeps you in touch with the Houston Texans all year long, virtually. We were dark from the loss to the Colts to the day after the Super Bowl, but this is our first week back, and we love being back, especially since it's Thursday, and it's the General John McClain joining us. How's it going, John? Mark, it's great to be back on. It's one of my favorite hours of the week, and I appreciate you having me as always. Fun to talk about the offseason. I'm glad to put the Super Bowl behind me, Mm. and Atlanta did a really good job. But, you know, that game was not memorable to me. Great, It's the best defensive performance I've ever seen in all the ones I've covered. But uh, it's kind of one of those, there wasn't controversy. You want to put it behind you. Look at free agency. Look at the drafting. Changes on the coaching staff. Lots to talk about. Well, I do want to talk about the Super Bowl a bit because we did talk about it Monday. But Tuesday we had the coaching changes. Last night we were at the Houston Sports Awards interviewing a lot of people. A little bit of Super Bowl talk, but not much. But, John, uh, let's get to the Houston Texans here because these coaching changes are the top story of the week. And you look at Tim Kelly as offensive coordinator. And, you know, I really like this move because not only do you have Tim Kelly as offensive coordinator, but you have Carl Smith as quarterback's coach. So you do get some new thinking in there. And clearly Bill O'Brien trusts Tim Kelly an awful lot. And you have Carl Smith to work with Deshaun Watson and I went over it the other day. The list of QBs that he's worked with is highly impressive, most recently Russell Wilson. Carl's son works here, Tracy Smith, so he's got family here. You can see his grandkids. And he had been with Pete Carroll at USC, and then he went with him to Seattle. And I like the fact he coached Wilson, a quarterback with a similar skill set to Watson. Watson just needs more development. And Carl's 70 years old. He's not looking to be an offensive coordinator somewhere else. He's not looking for a head coaching job. He is what he is. He's a quarterback coach, longtime offensive coordinator who has fingerprints on just about every position you can have in his career, his coaching career. And uh, I like when guys – it's always fans and a lot of media, they don't want people promoted. They want you to go outside and hire somebody new, new ideas. But just because you bring a guy like Tim Kelly up, which we all knew was going to happen, it's just a matter of when, doesn't mean Tim don't tell Bill what he thinks. Right. And and uh, I talked to a guy who used to work here in 2014, and he had an office in there with Kelly. And he told me at the Super Bowl that the joke around the office was no matter how early you came, Kelly was already there. No matter how late you stayed, Kelly was staying later. And he was obsessed with being a sponge and soaking up as much as he could learn on both sides of the ball, even though he was offensive quality control and he'd been a GA with O'Brien at Penn State. And he said everybody was so impressed with him. Well, I didn't pay attention to him in 2014. Then, and you've heard this, when O'Brien started talking about coaches unsolicited, you know, if you ask him about a specific coach like Sean Ryan, he's going to say great things. But when Bill's up there just talking about coaches, off the top of his head, he always mentioned Tim Kelly, Mike Devlin, and last season, Brad Seeley. So Kelly is very highly thought of, and there are some people think he's going to be a head coach. Well, Will Long is another guy that Bill O'Brien will bring up unsolicited, and he'll coach tight ends, taking over Kelly's spot there. And look, receivers to tight ends or tight ends to receivers to quarterbacks to OC, that's a, a familiar path. But tight ends to OC, that's pretty strong right there. Now, George Godsey kind of did it, but he was a quarterback's coach here after coaching tight ends in New England. And clearly he knows the system. This is going to be a good thing. And you mentioned Smith as well. So I like all of that. I also like the former players coming in, John, because T.J. Yates, 
look, he's going to be an offensive assistant. It's not like he's going to stand up in front of the team and say much, although maybe Bill O'Brien will have him do that just to talk about his experiences and things like that. But I like having a guy like that on the staff. Let me go back to Tim Kelly right quick. All right. He also worked with the offensive line, and uh, he's been heavily involved in the game plans, not just like O'Brien took him up and and promoted him, and he didn't deserve it. He's young, 32, Mm -hmm. but if he would, like, wave it, Sean McVay in an airport, he could get a head coaching job next year. Yeah, I maybe have done not that now. Last year. Maybe not now. Uh, <laughs> not and, this week. Yeah, not this week. And so uh, I love having former players in there. TJ, a legend for obvious reasons. Uh, Bill told you on Texans radio how TJ let him know he wanted to be a coach and had stayed in touch with him, same as Keem Dent. And uh, you know, Keem's going to learn a lot from Romeo Cornell. Keem being a linebacker. I'm assuming he's going to be working with linebackers. And the one I really like is Brian Cushing. That's That move took a lot of grief last week. The way I look at it, people ask me quite a bit, who are my favorite Oilers, who are my favorite Texans, and I always have Brian near the top of my list with uh, mm. favorite Texans along with Eric Winston, Indy Kalu, and And knowing how hard Cushing worked, how he had over 20 operations when he played, how smart he was as a player. O'Brien talked to him last year when they cut him about if you decide you want to do something, yeah. let me know. He spotted it in him. And so uh, I think they knew they were going to take some uh, some uh, guff, mm-hmm. and uh, but the the advantages outweigh that. And uh, I'm glad that if Brian, after sitting out a year, I'm guessing he wanted to play. He's thir- only 30 years old. And he didn't get that opportunity. And like Wes Welker, after being out, he decided, okay, I'm going to put my toe in the water and see if, if, if I like it. And Welker now is a position coach receivers at the 49ers. And Brian is going to work with uh, strength and rehab and defense. And uh, I think that was a terrific move. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great to have him in the workout room. And as a motivator, I mean, look, they had Cedric Smith here once upon a time. He played in the league, right? I think when you have guys who played in the league, it's not – the be-all, end-all, but I think it certainly helps in certain instances, especially when it's a guy who's played as recently as Brian Cushing. And, you know, I I knew that people would say what they're going to say, and a lot of them are just joking around. And I'm not saying it's like having Frank Abagnale in the building for certain things, but with Cushing, he has, you know, he's lived through a lot, John, and he can tell these guys exactly what's going on with things and, you know, how to take care of their bodies and how to prepare for the NFL week to week. How many people you think know who's Frank? <laughs> I don't. Well, I just thought. I'd what was the that movie in. that was about him? Catch me if you can. Catch me if you can yeah. with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian is is uh, very well respected by the players and coaches because of his because of his hard work, because of his leadership. You know, he was the play caller. He was a captain. You knew how much Bill O'Brien thought about him when Brian got back from his ten game suspension. Zach Cunningham and Bernard McKinney were entrenched at inside. So they started him an outside, and they made him a captain right away. That's incredible. That shows really. you what they think, what Bill yeah. thinks about him. And I know Brian; I've known him since the day he was drafted. He will, he will dive in he, head first into this job. No question about that. All right. So the play calling thing. We asked Bill O'Brien about it the other night, and he didn't really answer the question directly. But you get the feeling that Bill O'Brien's going to be really involved with calling the plays. But it is a collaborative thing as far as game planning. What goes into it? What goes into what they might call in certain situations? 
but you get the feeling that he's going to pull the trigger on what the actual selection ends up being. Only one guy talks to the quarterback, and that's Bill. And that yeah. mic goes off with 15 seconds hey, left hey, in look, the play. You know, he once gave it to George Godsey. I mean, you never know what's going to well, happen. Speaking of George Godsey, I yep. talked to Brian Hoyer last Friday in a mm-hmm. story I ran for Saturday. And I asked Brian, I sat, I was waiting for him at a table, and I said, I'm going to ask you something you haven't been asked. He goes, yeah, right, let me hear it. I said, do you think the Texans, that Bill O'Brien can win a Super Bowl with the Texans? And he didn't hesitate. And then I said, uh, there's a lot of uh, speculation and demands in Houston. Fans, media want Bill give up play caller. What do you think about O'Brien as a play caller? Should he be a play caller when he's a head coach? And he goes, man, I wish he'd have called plays the year I was there. Whoa. And I said, well, uh, I said, I know Godsey started, but didn't Bill take it over? He said, no, I wish he had a – he didn't call him. And I'm, I remember Godsey was getting a lot of grief at one point. And I thought Bill kind of, without saying it, led us to believe he'd gotten back involved. And that took the heat to out t- on to George. To take the heat off, yeah. And then and then uh, George called him, and then uh, he and Hoyer were both gone. And I thought maybe Hoyer, since Bill benched him in the first game – Made him play in, he, when he was just terrible in that Kansas City playoff game and then cut him. Maybe he's a little better. And if he is, but he, that's one thing. But he didn't hesitate talking both about Billy can do this and why. And I always think it's funny to listen to those New England guys talk about Billy. And yeah. uh, so him, he just like Tom Brady. Every time we talk to Brady, goes on. You ask, when you, as I use this on 610, you ask Brady about O'Brien. It's like asking the guy at the time he tells you how to make a watch. It just goes on and on and on. And so I thought that was very interesting. And why wouldn't O'Brien want to call the plays this year with Watson going into his third season with you're going to have two new tackles, I believe. I think you'll use a one and a two on the tackles. Maybe sign somebody in free agency. QT, maybe he'll start off healthy. Maybe Will Fuller will start off healthy. And who wouldn't want to have Fuller and Hopkins and QT as your options as a receiver? And so who wouldn't want to do that? I think people uh, misunderstand sometimes. Not everybody, but they misunderstand what goes into a game plan. You know, if they have third and short, well, that week in particular against certain defensive fronts, they might have X number of options, and he's going to select from those options. More often than not, sometimes he might take a flyer or whatever. Let's just run this. We haven't run it in three weeks, but I really have a good feeling here. But I'm, I'm thinking that there's where the help comes in. There's where the Tim Kelly help comes in. There's Mike where Devlin, maybe the Carl Smith. Mike Devlin. You know, Mike Devlin as well on offensive line and, and as a run game coordinator of sorts. I mean, he can, he can help out there, and they're going to improve talent as well. And then you look at there's a hidden hire here. Not hidden. They announced it. Doug West to help out Bill O'Brien on the football side. He has been the vice president of football operations and really in charge of travel and, and navigating. Training camp in things. West Virginia. Yeah, navigating things around this building. Because believe me, it's not like it's, everything is paved from one end to the other. You have to navigate around the rodeo and the other events here and the schedule. I mean, it's it's really tricky how they coordinate everything. And Doug is a super organized guy, and I think working closely with O'Brien on those things. O'Brien's super organized, but you know, all that organization takes time. And maybe you can help him free up a little bit of time. That's just my theory here that between – I know that's a very subtle thing, but I think that along with Tim Kelly and Carl Smith coming in, I see – the tide rising here with these guys being brought in in these roles. Doug West came from Denver. Uh, Kubiak hired him. He was very respected with the Broncos. 
And what's his title? New new title, Doug's uh, assistant to the head foot, coach. Yeah, football helper outer guy. Something That's like what I'm that. And him so right now, it's obvious it O'Brien trusts him, mm-hmm. or he wouldn't do this for him. And uh, I kind of thought after Bill got here, Doug might be fired after a year because Bill wanted to bring his, more of his own guys. But you knew when he kept him from the previous regime, Doug did a really good job. Yeah, so. and, and then he takes him over from that side of it to directly next to him, if you will. And they bring in Clay Hampton, who used to be with the Jets, and his father was with the Jets. Was his father with the Jets when they were the New York Titans? Or maybe right after they he, changed I the name? I think he started in 64. <laughs> Namath got there in 65. And uh, so he preceded Namath. And Clay Hampton started working with his dad, who was an equipment guy, mm-hmm. hanging around the facility, worked his way up. He was with them until last year. And I talked to three guys uh, who either cover the Jets or work for the Jets, and they really liked him. It's like the Hampton family are legendary yeah. in uh, with the Jets. And well, they so have to be. Brian Gain was there. Brian knew him, brings him in as director of football ops, which is what he was with the Jets. And so I know Brian has another guy. He, he's he's not the first one he hired from the Jets, right? And he feels yeah. very comfortable, and, and, and they'll want a veteran – a veteran there, and I say a veteran, I'm not just talking about a guy has been in the league 10 years. I'm talking about a guy has been in there a long time. Yeah. And so I like a lot. I like these changes. I'm trying to think, you know, I think O'Brien should call the plays. You know what you're getting with him because uh, I just like to see the line stay relatively healthy. Well, look what he did in the six games with Watson in 17, then in 18. The offense at times was explosive. I mean, you can't forget about days like they had against Miami and Philadelphia when they came back from out of nowhere to take the lead late in that game and other things. By the way, the Titans were from 60, 61 to 62 in New York. A lot of people don't remember that. Well, of course they don't because they weren't around then. But they so they made be, the change in 63? It appears that in 1963 they made the change. The general stays with us, and we'll talk about the Texans and how people, what they thought of the Texans as the general was walking around Atlanta getting ready for the Super Bowl last week and how I think that Super I'm not going to call that Super Bowl underrated, but my overall thoughts on it. It's Texans Radio. John McClain with us as we keep you company on Texans All Access tonight here. Texans Radio, Sports Radio 610. You can check out all the podcasts on HoustonTexans.com or iTunes or wherever you get fine podcasts. All right, General, a couple of things on the Super Bowl. Three points for the Rams. Sean McVay, everybody holds him in such high regard, and they should. He's had a tremendous start to his career. I mean, you cannot draw it up much better than this. Playoff appearance, Super Bowl appearance. However, People were perplexed with the lack of production offensively in the Super Bowl. Your take. And, by the way, attached to that, Wade Phillips has to be saying, I hold them to 13, 13 points. I do. The players do. But 13 points, and they can't even get close. Bill Belichick went to the playoffs once in his first six years as a head coach. Give me a break. Playoffs. One Mm -hmm. time. Won one game. And he was 5-11 his first year in New England. So what McVay has done – Adding players, they added so many more players last season when he took over that Jeff Fisher didn't have, especially on offense, so they got explosive. Bill Belichick has outcoached a lot better coaches than Sean McVay, a lot more experienced coaches than Sean McVay. Brian Flores did a great job. Belichick had his fingerprints on it. It was the best defensive performance I've ever seen in a Super Bowl. Uh, Cowboys beat Miami, what was 24 to 3. Then Miami won the next two, did three in a row. First time 
anybody done three in a row. And I think this was the first time anybody had three in a row since those Dolphins. But this one was so dominant against a great offense. Miami didn't have a great offense then. The Rams averaged 32.9 points 12 times in regular season. And once in the playoffs, they scored 30. I saw on ESPN late one night after the, after the Super Bowl, somebody bet, I can't remember how much money it was on the Rams to score three and won 250000 Wow. Who would bet on the Rams scoring three points? The Patriots had done nothing all season or in the playoffs that made you think they were capable of a game plan and a defensive performance like that. Ed Biles, the uh, Oilers defensive coordinator, the Love You Blue Air under Bum Phillips, then their head coach, told me at a Texas Bowl event last night. He said, I watched that, and it was almost like they knew what they were going to do. It's almost like they, they figured something out. And that's like the 79 divisional playoff game in which the Chargers were favored by 20 over the Oilers in San Diego. Air Coriel with Fouts, and, and uh, they picked up Dan Fouts' foot. If he kept his feet straight, it was going to be, a, a, I think, a drop back. Mm-hmm. So Greg Bingham, the inside linebacker, would mean it was going to be a pass, yelled Air Force. Air Force, Air Force. And if they knew it was going to be a run, he yelled Army. And Vernon Perry picked off what is still a playoff record for interceptions, and they pulled off the biggest upset in this city's history. And so Biles, you know, I didn't thought about that. And then he said it was just like everything they did, the Patriots were ready for. And I, that's very interesting because I haven't seen that anywhere else, but it was just a stupendous performance and uh, by the Patriots. And, uh, you know, the fewest fewest points they've ever scored in the Super Bowl. Every game they played, eight games, eight Super Bowls was one-score games. This is the first one that was not, and they scored 13 points. I totally get the hatred because they're so good. And I love all the tweets about how they were long and suffering, didn't have a victory parade since November. Uh, in New England, <laughs> and you know all the other things that they were, and the they, Red Sox have won four World Series. It, it's just ridiculous. I can't stand it, but I respect them. It's mind-boggling the success because you think about how much you'd love to just have one or just go to one, and they've done all of this. They've won six of them. I admire the heck out of them. Think of like twenty or thirty years from now when people look back at this dynasty. Think about how. Gronk and Brady and Edelman will always be welcomed back to Boston, New England area, well, because of their heroics forever. Forever. But the other thing is, how many other guys before them have contributed to the success of the Patriots winning these Super Bowls? The constant, as Robert Kraft pointed out after the game, is, of course, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. But somebody flashed up the numbers of Edelman because Adam Schefter tweeted out, oh, the Hall of Fame case is building for Edelman. And they put Deion Branch's numbers up there, and they were just as impressive, if not more, as far as regular season and postseason. It's just the flavor of the month thing with Edelman. He just you know looks good right now. There's no question about He's, that. He's a tremendous player, but let's not talk Hall of Fame and get crazy. As one of the voters, I was thinking, okay, that you wish you could give it to the entire defense. Yeah. You couldn't. Somebody said, well, Stephen Gilmore. I said he had an interception that we could have caught. Forced Wasn't a fumble a that play. they couldn't recover. And, but Edelman had 10 catches, 141 yards. Eight were for first downs. Mm. A big catch on every scoring drive. And I felt better because you turn your vote in with like a minute and a half left. And I felt better because I was agonizing over a defensive player. And then Jim Nance asked uh, Tony Romo, who's your MVP? And he said, Julian Edelman. So then I felt, you know, since Romo knows everything, 
yeah. then it was right. Yeah, he does everything. Jim. And then people, the, the NFL released, I guess, that no defensive player received a vote in all these defensive players around the league. And former defensive players were howling about the injustice of it all. And, and Dante Hightower had two sacks, another hit on the quarterback, but he only had two tackles. So uh, it was a great team effort by the Patriots, but I thought Edelman had a bigger impact on that game than any one player on the defense. What were people saying about the Texans to you as you were making your way around Atlanta? I'm glad you asked that. Let's see. Let me start with J.J. Watt. People were just amazed at how he was able to do what he did this year. And and I think most of us were. And I think J.J. might be, considering he just tell us, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. Now people are, okay, how long can he do it? Well, he's going to be 30 in March. Based on what we saw this year, there's no reason he can't do it again. And um, – the and uh, Watson, they were amazed. How, they said, "How does that guy play in a Pro Bowl? Considering how many times he was hit, yeah. you think he'd be ready to go to a hospital?" I said, "He's in better shape at the end of the season than he was early in the season when he had a collapsed lung and a broken rib and a bruised sternum." And and people were talking about his toughness and how could he have survived behind that offensive line and and how and they're really pumped about Watson and thinking about the possibilities when Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien add to the offense. Clowney, you know, I told everybody, like I saw one mock draft that had them taking an edge rusher because Clowney's going to be a free agent. I'm thinking, he ain't going to be a free agent. He's not going anywhere. You think franchise at the Yeah, you think they're going to let him walk? I don't – maybe they'll get a contract – agreement, but I'm doubting it. Can I throw you a question right now? Sure. What would the Patriots do if they had Clowney? Uh, well, I think if you win all those Super Bowls. Then then you're willing to take some risks that maybe other teams would. You take more risk, yes. They, w- they would not pay him. They don't pay anybody. Gilmore is, I think, the highest paid player they got. They got him from Buffalo, remember? Now what they got him for two years ago is not all that much money, but they they get rid of players. So they would probably trade him, see if they could get a number one. Right. But because Clowney is so disruptive, even though he's he's great against the run, he's a good pass rusher, he's disruptive. If, say, they let him walk or they trade him, who else is going to be disruptive? If Clowney's not there, that gives defense offenses more opportunities to worry about what. I think they need to add another guy. You know, that's my after the offensive line and corner get another edge rusher and uh just to come off the bench and then hopkins it it was going around that and i don't know why anybody cares what chad ochocinco says i haven't tweet, tweeted him retweeted him but he didn't have hopkins in his top three receivers so people are like what's the matter with him and and i didn't have to talk to people and say that pro football focus had hopkins with no drops people knew it and just about everybody, he was Hopkins and Brown, and now Antonio Brown, it's all negative because of all the controversy. I didn't have anybody just didn't go on and on about Hopkins. So I believe that he is acknowledged as the premier receiver in the NFL right going into next season. I think people who know, know. And that's why it kind of bothered me when that NFL 100 commercial came out. And by the way, Watt had knee surgery, so that's why uh, he was absent from that deal. Otherwise, he would have been in there. But Hopkins should have been in that, I thought, over Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham's such a huge name, and he's a great player. He's in there because he's in New York. Yeah, I mean, that just 
bothered me. Eli and Odell need to be in that commercial. I mean, I think we had enough current greats, so to speak, in there. Anyway, uh, now I'm just venting. But I'm capable of doing that on a regular basis. But you basis. could also add another receiver. I mean, they had a lot of guys just been in the league one or two years. I got a couple of points to make about Watson. I want your reaction to them. And another thing about Tom Brady that I wanted to get you to respond to. It's coming up. It's Texans All Access. Keeping your company on a Thursday evening. Mark Vandermeer and John McClain with you, Texans Radio. So the general back from the Super Bowl, back from the Houston Sports Awards last night, a uh, a Texas Bowl, Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl event on Tuesday night. A couple of things I promised here, John. One of them about Deshaun Watson, and you brought it up that he might be healthier now than he was midway through the season, and that's why he played in the Pro Bowl, because you were asked, why is he playing in the Pro Bowl? Wasn't he all banged up? But I think it's another thing to point out as to why this offense wasn't all it could be this year. They went through a stretch of games there where I think they were really trying to protect him, and they were limiting some of the things they might normally do because he was banged up and they were just trying to get through it. You know, we talked about it the night before last. Can you imagine if the game against Jacksonville were actually at Seattle or something? He wouldn't have been able to go because he couldn't fly. He wouldn't be able to bus up to Seattle. So Ooh, that's a great point. I yeah. thought about that. So they kind of, you know, they were fortunate that it was within a stone's throw, if you will, to get to that destination and there were just other factors just because they got through that game didn't mean the next three weren't difficult for him physically so I think that along with some of the issues they had on the offensive line losing Henderson in game one you know that all played a part as to why this offense couldn't really flourish the way they wanted it to people act like this thing was Houston Texans year one 2002 when they just couldn't score a point when getting a first down was a huge celebration it wasn't like that they got some things done they just weren't able to reach their full potential. I think a lot of deals like what happened against Indy for the offense to be so bad. Well, that's a fair question. That's what people are remembering. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was told they did, it was a great game plan by Matt Eberflus, who they didn't want Watson rolling right or left and making plays, throwing the ball on that run or, or sliding out there and finding receivers. So the outside rushers were more disciplined, set the edge, and then they thought that they could collapse the pocket in his face. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of his passes were off target. And you remember after that game, it's first time all season he talked about the protection. He yeah. said it's hard to throw balls when they're, they're in your face. And I thought that was what the Rams, one of the things they did was Sue and Donald was collapse that pocket in front of Brady, who's the greatest pocket passer in history. He just steps up, and it's like he's got a wall around him. Right. And they did it well enough that he was having to get rid of the ball quick and throw a bunch of crossing routes. The only one he threw deep was a 29-yarder to Gronk on the touchdown drive. and But they adjusted. And Watson, if he gets time, you know, if he gets you – know, Goff was sacked 33 times this year. If they cut his sacks in half, it'll still be a lot, but it'll be so many, so much, so, let's see, what is the word? Fewer, so much fewer, so much. Yeah. A lot less than last season. You know, with that playoff game, John, I go back to DeAndre Hopkins not being 100%, being maybe 20%, whatever he was, he couldn't move in that game. It was just hard to watch him trying to be able to make his usual cuts. And he hurt and his like shoulder that. and was having to – Might shoulder. as well have been playing with a sling. I mean, I think that was really difficult because you know, QT had a really good game in terms of catch volume, but I think they're willing to give – not give it to him necessarily all day long, but they'll live with that. You know, they'll, they'll as long as they shut down your leading scorer, you know, your lead guitar player, DeAndre Hopkins, they were able to shut him down for the most part. 
and that's what uh, spelled doom for the Houston Texans offense. They get all their weapons flying, and look, it's a lot to ask for to keep all these guys healthy. Are they going to draft a receiver? Uh, they got three, but I you know. better have another one who's durable. That's one of the things about Demarius Thomas. Insurance, he had will. been durable, and he yeah. blows out his Achilles. That's just horrible. I'm not so sure because whoever comes in here is going to have to come in knowing he's the fourth receiver. Yeah. But his agent will say, yeah, you're the fourth receiver, but let's look at Will Fuller's injury history and now this rookie they had who missed some. You're going to end up playing. They maybe. missed 19 games mm-hmm. between them last year. so Maybe, maybe they could develop a Vincent Smith or there's maybe, another diamond in the rough somewhere. And maybe could be. Maybe a guy like Cecil Shorts comes here near the end of his career and helps us like a leader, an extra coach, and he yeah. plays Nate Washington. But they do have to have another one. I don't see him drafting somebody unless it's someone. When the time comes, Brian Gang goes, whoa, we got this guy. He got passed up, and we got him rated way up here. But, uh, yes, you better have a backup slot guy, maybe DeAndre Carter, who was a really good waiver claim, and another outside guy behind the big two. I still want Carter on this team returning kicks unless they find another option that's that attractive because he looked pretty good doing that. He made you hold your breath a lot, but uh, yeah, he was effective. He was When they cut Tyler Irvin, I was surprised, and, and then the – Carter came in here and did a good job. Outstanding. Special teams did not, while we were wailing on the offense and the defense to a certain point, do you realize if the defense had stopped falls on that last series, Texans would have by, Eagles wouldn't have gone in the playoffs. Number one overall seed, And it would all could have changed and just that one drive. But um, I look back on it and I think the Colts, most people are going to pick the Colts to win the division. I think that's good. I think some people will be picking them to dethrone the them or the Chiefs to dethrone the Patriots. But uh, I look at next season on uh, the the Texans want to get younger, faster on a, on a cornerback that got good safeties, and uh, and then I think you know they don't need the Texans don't need a lot. You know, it's not like you need help at every position. And right, you're not starting over. <laughs> the thing that <laughs> should be the most concerning is when your quarterback is the leading rusher in your last five games. Yeah. And is that because of the backs? Is it because of the line? That's a, a great point. They have to address it. I mean, Lamar Miller, pro bowler and everything, but can Foreman do what you hoped he could do in his rookie year? Can they draft somebody else or acquire somebody else to help out? You know, Alfred Blue is who he is. So – and he's solid and everything, special teams, and he can he can pinch hit for you, if you will, as a running back. But you got to find a way to be much more prolific in that phase of the game. What about defensively? Look, they still have a lot of questions that they have to answer, and I don't even know if they know the answers at this very second as far as free agents and who they're going to resign. You know, we haven't even hit free agency yet and haven't hit the combine yet at that. Well, they've got, if you think about this, Angelo Blackson had his best season. His contract's up. Christian Covington had his best season. His contract's up. Brandon Dunn is not unrestricted, and he started at nose. People don't realize DJ Reader was an end in the starting when they had a three-man front. So you got those three back. All four linebackers are under contract. Safeties, you you got three. What you got is Kareem Jackson. Right. uh, Of all the starters, Kareem is going to be 31. His contract's up. You know, maybe he comes back, whatever they have budgeted. Mm-hmm. They're not going to break the bank for Kareem, even though he can play safety. And I noticed at the Super Bowl, he said, I love to play safety, which is smart marketing. 
Let all those teams know, I don't have to play corner. You yeah. know, Mark, how it is, most corners, you say, we want you to think about safety. Oh, no, I'm not going to play safety. That means you're calling me a girly boy. And now they don't know if that's going to be a malcontent problem or yeah, whatever. Yeah, Kareem, you know, he'll embrace wherever he plays. That smart, he covers the slot. Right. And, and so I'll be surprised if he and Matthew are both back because one of them, is going to get it, and they got to do what's best for their family. But Matthew's like four years younger, and uh, so if I had to pick one, corn being able to be versatile like Kareem might get more money on the open market than Matthew, even though he's a versatile safety who can play corn. All right, can I be hot, irresponsible sports take guy right now? Of course. By hot, I meant with the sports take, nothing about appearance. Okay, so this is in regard to Brady taking less money. You mentioned Gilmore being so high paid. On that roster, we don't even talk about Brady being that well paid compared to the other quarterbacks in the league. He takes less money. Would it shock you if after he retires, they allow Brady to maybe buy a piece of the team or do something like that? Because to me, this is not talked about enough. And maybe I'm just bitter, but I just find it really troubling that he takes less money year after year. Tom Brady should be the highest paid player in the sport. If your wife was worth uh, over $100 million, I, but John, would, when money, does that ever would come ego get in your way of taking only $20 million a year? I don't know if that's that's what it's about, though. This is a, this is the United States well, of America. Well, if that it's, happens. Who cares what she makes? There will, I'm going to make this. There will be an investigation, another one. If he's allowed because, to do that? Did, yes, because that's a violation of the salary cap. Whether it's wink, wink or not, and they don't but need a lot of. But it's after he's finished playing. It's all right. It's the franchise. You can you can slap them with anything you want, and they're a mm-hmm. multiple offender. Didn't that happen to Elway and Bolin? That mm-hmm. they got some kind of fine or loss of draft choice because afterwards. Uh, yeah, it uh, something but turned out Bolin had promised him like something with the Orange Crush or something like that. So they have to be very careful because if that happened, Brady's going to have a. One percent piece of the Patriots. Everybody go aha, and the NFL would go aha. Uh, s- send out the dogs. I've I've always said this. It would not surprise me if after he retires, he has some island in the Pacific that's named after him that mysteriously appears on the positive side of the ledger. I don't know. It's just strange to me. Okay, never mind. It about just that. could be old Tommy Brady. Mm-hmm. His ego doesn't get in the way of having to be the highest. Should be the highest paid quarterback in NFL history. He should be the highest paid player in NFL history. Yeah, maybe in sports history. So tell me this: Who do you think will be the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Have you gone on the record with any predictions there? Aaron Wilson and I turned in our first mock drafts. They're going to be posted, I think, tomorrow, and we're going to have podcast explaining our picks. And we're going to pick the first round. And uh, I already sent mine in. And I had Jacksonville not taking a quarterback because I think uh, they're going to sign Nick Foles. I think that's why they got John DeFilippo, his quarterback coach with Philadelphia, who he's very tight with. Now, they've they the re, two reasons that Philadelphia wants to trade him. Number one, make sure he doesn't go to Washington or the Giants. And number two, if they let him walk and got a compensatory pick, that's going to be way down there at the bottom of the third round. Jacksonville picked seventh in the third round. So that's a lot of difference if they took their third-round pick for Nick Falls from the Jaguars. But Jacksonville has got to 
clear up some cap room. Remember when they used to have so much? Yeah. Like when they when they signed on uh, mm-hmm. AJ Boyer three years ago. Now they're up against it. They're jammed and up. And there's talk that they're going to, when you see some cuts, you're going to go, okay, that was a problem guy. That was a problem okay. guy because they had problems behind the scenes. Are the Rams in any kind of difficulty with the salary cap based on all the free agents they've been signed? Uh, until they sign Jared Goff, they'll pick up his option next year and it'll cost them $20 million for him. There's a lot of people because their offensive line just got abused. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, the left tackle, is 37. Right. hasn't decided if he's coming back. and he, According to the people with the Rams, he played great. But their center, John Sullivan, is th- going to be 34. And their right guard, Austin Blythe, those guys, they may need to, to uh, bring in somebody else to take their place. But that's about the only thing. I believe that I had them taking an edge rusher because Wade can't have enough pass rushers. And Sue, Sue's go- Sue had a one-year deal. They're not going to break the bank to bring him back. But uh, – I I do think that uh, the Rams will definitely be a contender, a Super Bowl contender in the NFC. Along with I'm gonna, I think I'm I always pick New England, so I think I'm going to pick New Orleans because the Saints should be hungry, motivated because yeah. they was robbed. Yeah. What about the Titans, John? In Nashville, what do they think of Marcus Mariota coming into the off season? What they think and what they say they they promoted their. T- tight ends coach to be offensive coordinator and Vrabel did a long comprehensive study and interviews and then people are like is that all there is he's been around here forever but Mike wouldn't have done it if he didn't think he could handle it just like Bill O'Brien would not have done it for Tim Kelly if he didn't know he could handle it so they got you know Delaney I, I think I had them taking a tight end because Delaney Walker missed all season with a knee injury. A lot of people haven't taken a wide receiver. The first two picks last year were linebackers. They need to worry about interior offensive linemen and more firepower. As far as Mariota, their whole deal with him is he's had now four different offensive coordinators, and it's hard to build any kind of stability and consistency when they're changing coaches on you all the time. True. And he can't stay healthy consistently. Patriots come here next year, and that's a game that's based on where you finished in the division. First, first. Playing a first-place schedule, and it is tough. It is tough. Colts finish second, so all right. But they play the entire AFC West, so they're going to see Mahomes anyway. And as far as the AFC North goes, it's no break for them because they get Pittsburgh and the Texans get Baltimore. So that's not too bad. I would rather have Baltimore than Pittsburgh. And also, they play the NFC South. So you get Atlanta, New Orleans, maybe yep. Tampa will be better with Everybody's going to see Cam. Everybody's going to see Breeze. Texans have to go to the Superdome, unfortunately. And um, and so I'm one. I haven't looked to see if the Titans are going to host the Saints, or they have to go to the Superdome. But uh, Indy is the team that everybody's going to say is the team to beat, and I think it's going to be a great race. If Foles or even Kyler Murray ends up – at Jacksonville, think about how much more interesting it'll be. The Jaguars will be not having Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles, Joe Flacco, Ryan Tannehill, all former number one picks uh, who've had some degree of success. Flacco won a Super Bowl. They're going to be available. Do you 
sign him as a backup? Do you sign him as a starter till maybe your number one pick's ready? How do you handle those three guys? I don't require more interest as far as the Jaguars go. I'm fine if they stick with Bortles and the Texans play them in London. Well, he's gone. They could start David Beckham at quarterback as far as I'm concerned. I'll be very happy with that. John, what else is going on in the Chronicle? You mentioned the mock draft. Yeah, we've got a mock draft. We're going to have podcasts. We're going to have mock drafts every week between now and uh, the draft. We'll be at the Combine. Can't wait. Mark, it's great to be back with you. Thank you very much. There's the General John McClain. Always a pleasure to visit with him. And I invite you to visit HoustonTexans.com for the podcasts because we caught up with Cal McNair last night. You heard some of that today on Sports Radio 610. They've been playing the interview or parts of it throughout the day. Caught up with Cal and Hannah yesterday at the Houston Sports Awards. And also Brian Cushing. That's on the podcast from yesterday's Texans All Access show. And also Whitney Merciless. That was great. Andre Ware joined us as well. And we had fun talking with Dre. Also fun is pointing out how wonderful the Houston Sports Awards were last night. Getting all those people together. That room was amazing. Mean Joe Green. Last year at the event, and I salute Patty Smith for all her fine work and everybody involved with the county putting this together. But last year, the guy who kind of put me over the top, there were so many amazing people in the room. But when I saw George Foreman, for some reason, that was that was the final push over the cliff for me as to how star-studded the event was. Last night, Foreman was being inducted. Pastorini was there, of course. But the guy who got me was Mean Joe Green. Just see Mean Joe Green there on a night where you're putting Pastorini in the Hall of Fame and honoring Love You Blue was terrific. So that was a great event. And if you missed it, I'm sure they're going to do it again next year. They'll have another Hall of Fame class. They'll do the awards. It'll be fun. It'll be in February, and we'll keep you posted. All right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. John Harris has you tomorrow night. I'll be on the program. We'll have a lot of things to talk about, as we always do. It doesn't matter. Any time of year, all year long, five nights a week, 6 to 7 o'clock, we have plenty to discuss right here on Texans All Access. And don't miss Texans Buzz on Saturday nights, 11 o'clock, on ABC 13. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans.